welcome adventurer to the Level Up Board Game Podcast, a show that uses your experiences and opinions to discuss board games and the gaming community. Join the heroes as they conquer perils such as meeples, cards, and miniatures, all in an effort to level up. You're listening to the Level Up Board Game Podcast. No, no, no. You, you can't just say that you blew up on middle schoolers and not elaborate. What, what'd you do? Well, I told a bunch of them to keep quiet, and they were for three seconds. And then they decided <laughs> to do like a little mini shoving match, and then I'm just across the room, and I'm like, that's it. I think wow, you got you a mean, angry, rock. booming voice. You're like a big oh, old bear. <laughs> yeah, and it felt good to let that go. Oh, yeah. Hey, adventures! Welcome to episode 108 of the Level Up Board Game Podcast. This is just Patrick. You were recording me whenever I was sharing my <laughs> intimate details about yelling at middle school? So hey, intimate. It's King Scott here. So intimate. So teaching's been uh, been trying, huh? Oh, a little bit there. I mean, I, I have a, I've always had an appreciation for teachers. I, I truly do. They do, uns- they're the unsung heroes of this country. But now that I'm doing it, I don't really have the schooling behind it. So I'm just kind of like dumped in the deep end with like, here you go, have fun. So I can make kids laugh. I can enjoy teaching them games to play and things like that. But whenever it comes to, okay, Mr. Walton wants to talk to you about something, that's out the door. So kids suck. Let's let's just say it like it is. Kids are the worst. <laughs> hey, Adventures, thanks for joining us for episode 108 of the Level Up Board Game Podcast. Got a big one on deck for today with Neotopia being the feature review. New game from Arcane Wonders. Tons in the banter, and I mean tons. Recent plays, including Leaving Earth, Nar, Kanar, Kanar. Nar. We're going to call it Nar. Adventures on the horizon. We're going to be looking back. Plus, our very own Josh is going to be in for Lost Loot at the tail end. Scott, it's going to be a busy day. Oh, that it is. That it is. And hey, I mean, if you've listened to this now, we can tell you that we got Ryan out of jail. It was a little crazy at PGX. Uh, He got a little (laughs) unruly. But basically, the the money from our hats and things like that we sold, we were able to put up bail. So uh, it's all good. (laughs) We have nothing to worry about. Ryan is free. And Ryan, you want to explain to us why you were in jail? I especially love the useful boy. Dude, I saved that sound clip from last episode with Obsession, and I'm to- I knew. I was like, I just need the perfect time to use this. Oh, yes, Adventures, if you haven't listened to last week's side quest episode, we had Dan Halligan on. Boy, what a treat that was to get to chat with him just today. I was sitting listening to the published final product, and you know, whenever I messaged Dan, I said, hey, episode's up. Give it a listen. He said, you know, I always feel like I, I don't know what I'm doing, like I'm lost in the woods with these things, and you know, it, it sounded really great, and I want to be like, man, I, that's the magic of editing. Three years of experience. <laughs> editing we can make it sound oh that was great having dan with us i know that's something freaky thinking about it that this is coming up on three years oh that is absolutely insane and thinking three years ago that we'd be sitting here talking to dan all about obsession the new stuff coming out for it it's it's been a great ride and i can't wait for more well, at this point, PGX is over, but behind the scenes, we're recording, okay, tomorrow, Ryan is coming in from New Jersey via choo-choo train. I'm going to pick him up at like 7 o'clock. We're going to do some pizza at the house, get to bed, and then Saturday morning, all hell breaks loose. I know tomorrow, you got that big bin of stuff to set up. Like, I'm, I'm oh, putting yeah. you to work, buddy. Oh, yeah. I'm going to head out tomorrow. I already called off and said, hey, 
no sub for me tomorrow. I'm going in and just taking care of that. There are pictures up on Facebook about it right now. And oh my God, even bare with nothing set up, the whole convention center looks awesome. I cannot yeah. wait to get there. It is twice as big this year. They got their very own beer. You know why? We don't need to tell Adventures all about this because it, it's over. It happened, what? Four day, four and five days ago. Yeah, so you yeah, missed it. Yeah. Nah, there's always next year. We are well, here for I, I don't know. We should probably have like a wrap up though. I think that should be the episode after this. Then. Yeah, we'll do a, maybe the feature review will be something that we demoed and we'll talk all of it. That's totally going to fill up the banter next time. Oh, yeah. A question. This got me to thinking. You got the room for packs already, right? Yes. Okay. Just needed to know because our buddy Matt Cousineau, you'll recall the designer of Kyperium, uh, he did oh, an yes. episode with Ryan and I, and I think I showed you Kyperium as well. Fantastic yes, two-player yes. game, fully funded on Kickstarter like four or five months ago. He messages me out of the blue. I put up a picture of Gempire, and I was like, hey, we've been playing this Gempire game. Today's Adventure on the Horizon. He responds. He's like, yeah, I play that game too. That's really good. And then he sends me a PM. He's like, by the way, do you guys have a place to stay for packs? We got room for like 12. And I was like, hey, look at this. Oh, Matt's reaching out. And I thought, what what kindness is that? You know, we we chatted with him six months ago and here he's he's inviting us to chip in and get on a room with him. Hey, if anything, that just tells you what it's like, this hobby and the people that are involved with it. Such a great amount, great, great people. And that's what makes Con so much fun. Mm -hmm. Whenever you go, get to see people you haven't seen in six months, eight months, maybe even a year, and still just reconnect with those friendships. That is amazing. You know what else is amazing? Getting a Kickstarter box on your front porch, a big old Kickstarter, a big badass box, Borderlands, Mr. Torg's Arena of Badassery. It showed up. Dude, there's a lot going on in this. It came with like four other, but I forget what I pledged to. I don't know about you, but anytime I pledge to something, like I'll have a general idea like, oh, I did more than the base game, but I didn't go all in. I I have no idea Mm -hmm. what that means, what I'm actually going to get. So I got, look on a shelf over there. I got the base game. I got this big badass box. I got the Skags at the Gate box. I got Moxie. I got all two small boxes with with Steve, Psycho Steve's in there. (laughs) So I have it set up on the table. So far, it's looking, it's looking cool. It's looking cool. Uh The rule book looks like a mess. (laughs) First thing I do is I'm like, okay, let's get to the components list. It is in the scenario book on the last two pages. It's like, why isn't this oh. the first thing in the rule book? <laughs> what are you doing to me? And then it does that thing about like explaining concepts. Like, oh, if you're going to play this game and understand it, you really need to know these concepts. Nope. Just give me the setup and tell me the actions in it. Too. Well, <laughs> be that as it may, that's, uh, that's going to be happening soon. Give me some news, Scott. What you got? Hey, there's a game called Yokohama some of you might know. Well, guess what? There's going to be a new edition coming out. So, well, I always have problems with this word. Synapses. <laughs> synapses. Synopsis. Syn- well, synopsis isn't with an I. It's S-Y-N-O-S-P-I-S. That's synopsis. That's like getting it out. No, Synapses no, no. is what goes on in your brain. So anyway, something with an S. Synapses Games, we'll call it that, is thrilled to announce the upcoming release of Yokohama, a highly anticipated new version of the beloved strategy game. 
So that's going to be great to, for that to come out. It's coming out August 2024. I have not had a chance to play it, but I've heard all sorts of great things about this. And I'm really looking forward to this here, definitely, because it's just one of those things that there's so much worker placement, the different setup, set collection, all this stuff going on right down my alley. I'm really looking forward to that. You know what, Scott? I think this is one that you would really, really like. It's got sort of the modular board, like the modular setup and it's okay you're moving your pieces around you got the president you got these sm- you know what i haven't played it for like geez probably four years since the first one came out this is a tmg game um tasty mitchell and they okay like they went under basically yes um i guess they got the rights uh this synopsis what are you calling sign synapses not gonna work here anymore <laughs> <laughs> that joke's getting old, but I'll never stop saying it. <laughs> they, uh, I, I rated it back when I played it. I, I apparently rated it. I gave it an eight. Ryan's been on me about, hey, it's on BGA. We need to play. We need to play. And yep. I'm like, hey, you know what? My wife, she's traveling. She's in Oregon right now. She's going to be in New York next week. So I've got literally every weeknight that I'm not doing editing for this very episode. We ought to do that one and, and maybe revisit, maybe a level back. I'd say we're about due for a level back episode. I think so. Yeah, yeah. That sounds pretty good. I know next week I'm just going back to my old job of playing a uh, paranoid schizophrenic for a couple days. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, I'll be pretty much free for that. So that sounds good. Scott, I want to talk about a game called Revive. Now, we're still, mm. I'm not going to get deep into Revive. Revive was all the hot. I could not wait to play this thing at PAX last year. I saw it set up, and actually, right. I saw Tom Vassell walk past, and he was staring at it and pointing and talking with a couple of his cronies. I don't know who they were, but, you know, they're just, they're, they're Vassal cronies. They're Vassalites. Vassalines. <laughs> so, they're all checking out, and he's like, oh, yeah, this is that that new thing. And naturally, I'm like, oh, that's Tom Vassell. He's interested <laughs> in this, too. <laughs> So I'm getting all juiced. Didn't get to play it until Origins when Ryan taught it to me. You know what? Without getting into detail about the game, it is a phenomenal Euro game. Absolutely phenomenal with zero theme whatsoever. <laughs> you're doing something in an ice ice wasteland and you're like uncover it, like melting the snow and making settlements. Nah, you're not. You're looking at numbers and cards and triggers. And if I go up to this point on this track, it'll unlock this, which gives me that. And like, it's one of those types, which you know I like. I like those. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I like that in a game. Well, they've got an expansion coming out. Call of the Abyss. I think it's going to be an Essen release. Okay. The glacial meltwater forms giant lakes. And the... Do I have to do the voice? No. The glacial meltwater forms giant lakes. And from minuscule spores that have resided in the deeper layers of the ice, a new life form emerges and the lakes become home of the Syphos... Synapses? The Syphos harbor vast knowledge and wisdom. We will settle near the lakes and learn about them. We will bend to their will to honor them, complete the journeys they prepare for us. We will serve and be gifted. This is the call of the abyss. Uh, so revive call of the abyss. It introduced the mysterious life form Syphos. Cy- Boy, that's a toughie. Cy- Synapses. <laughs> Which live in the giant lakes that are formed by the meltwater, et cetera, et cetera. You know what? I'm excited to see an expansion for this game. It strikes me as a game that I would be willing to play over and over. The problem is lengthy setup, uh, lengthy gameplay, quite frankly. Mm-hmm. And I don't own it. <laughs> I never oh, did get a copy of it. So <laughs> maybe at some point, maybe at some point, but I, I see that we've got an expansion coming out. I think that's awesome. I think that means the game's got plenty of a following. Yes. Yeah. That's awesome. Now- Lucky Duck. Okay. 
Lucky Duck is partnering with Splatter to create a special edition of Food Chain. Now, and I can't talk. Thanks, Now, Patrick. come on. Your words are easy. Of Food Chain Magnate. Yes. So, this will give you a chance to give this game a try. We know from Lucky Duck, they do a great job with their production. They're going to put a little life into this. They're going to make it look good. And I'm all excited about this. I haven't played the original one at all. Because, all right. yes, once again... 100 bucks or so for little chits. I don't know. Doesn't feel but right. This here, I'm really looking forward to it. So it looks like what Lucky Duck is doing is they're giving this thing uh, basically the same gameplay. They're going to include the uh, the ketchup expansion, the, what is mm -hmm. it, the, the ketchup mechanism and other ideas. They're going to put that into the box too. So you're going to have the expansion in this special edition. But maybe most importantly and most appealing is that they're going to spice the game up as far as its visual appeal. Yeah. You're going to have some more color on those cards, some uh, basically some, some updated artwork. And take this as you will. Some are going to love hearing this. Some are not. But it's going to have miniatures. Right? I'm looking mm -hmm. at their, their poster that they put up. And they've got like a miniature of a restaurant with a couple cars parked out front. And I, the cars are different colors. I mean, if the minis end up looking like that. that Oh, they're tokens. They're not cars. Okay. So it's like a soda bottle. And it's, okay. a, it's a red wooden token with the screen printing. And there's a lemonade. It's a yellow glass with a lemon garnish. And it's a wooden token. It, actually, it looks really good, quite frankly. Mm. Yeah. Uh, but you know what? Maybe that'll be our chance to get in on Food Chain Magnate. Uh, they're oh, yeah, looking at uh, November 14th, 2023 is when they're coming to GameFound. This is going to be a GameFound project. Okay. Well, hey, hopefully we'll get a chance to see some sort of prototype or something like that at PAX. So I'll be keeping my eyes open for that. Let's keep them coming. You you got Die Atoms on here, a game of microscopic proportions. This one's actually live on Kickstarter right now, and I understand A, that it has won the cardboard Edison. Very cool. And mm -hmm. B, that you got the chance to play it. What was that all about? Yes, I got a chance to play it. There was a Game Masters. Oh, was it earlier this year or the end of last year? They had a, a day where they had a bunch of game designers come in and play their prototypes for everyone. Okay. And and they had this out here and they put it out and I'm looking at it. It looks interesting. And the woman involved with it, she said, hey, give it a try. I'm like, sure. Nikki sat down with me. A couple of the people sat down. We started playing. I cannot tell you the rules or how it exactly works to save my life. Because no, I can't remember that well. Yeah. But this thing is so awesome. This is like, oh, how do I want to put it? Almost like Sagrada, but on human growth hormones <laughs> because you are trying to put together all sorts of little pieces together because it's basically based on this uh, art form that people would take these really super close-up pictures of gems of different things like that and it would give this kind of a kaleidoscope effect okay. so you have all these different pieces of all different sizes stars triangles squares pentagons and you need to get them and fit them in certain ways on the little circular board you have. Great, great idea. Granted, I mean, the way I normally play, um, I go for what looks nice. And I want it to look good in the area that I'm going. I'm not really paying attention to the rules or the tips on how to possibly win. So I lost horribly. But damn, I, my page didn't look really good. It looked pretty. <laughs> This is going to be a great one for people who like puzzles. This is a great one for people who want something a little bit lighter to play around the table with their family. 
it strikes that sweet point. Doesn't overstay its welcome whatsoever. And I'm sure, I mean, even just the prototype looked great. So I'm sure that once they get a production behind it, it's going to be top notch. Keep an eye on diatoms. That's going to be a really, I'm, I'm going to be keeping an eye on this one, definitely. Well, I tell you what, it's got a, a lot in the box. Game looks pretty clever. It does look like the, uh, if you're a fan of a puzzle game, think a game like uh, like an Azul, for example. I think this is something that's going to going to be especially appealing to you. But how about this? 45 bucks. 45 bucks. It's $10 off the MSRP. Shipping for the US anyway, they're guessing somewhere between $10 and $15. And nowadays for a Kickstarter game, to be able to get under 60 bucks to get a hold of a game, that's that's like unheard of. So that's pretty And cool. let me tell you, what you're going to get in that box easily is worth that price. Easily worth that price. What is this big old paragraph in green? What are you doing to our notes? What, what, go ahead. Do your thing. All right. All right. Well, it seems that over the past few days, we came into a treasure trove of promo cards for Flamecraft. Oh, is that right? Yes, yes. 20 copies of the Rare Medium, in fact. Yeah, that's so, the, the card is the Rare Medium is what it's called, right? Yes, yes. So okay. we have to figure out a way to get these into the hands of the listeners. All right. So I don't know. Let's keep it simple. All you got to do is be in our BGG Guild, Guild 3722. Sound good? Yep. So yep. far? Get in the Guild. I like that. All right. And send us a message saying you want one. And I'm, oh. what am I, Patman? I'm Patman and you're King Scott. So if you're in the Guild, yes. you're going to be able to find us no problem. You know what I'll do? I'll put up a forum post and I'll say, respond to this if you want a copy of the, the Rare Medium. That sounds great. And then, uh, what do you say, at the end of October... That seems long enough. So we'll randomly pick a bunch. Yeah, that's like three weeks from the live. Well, okay, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, well, hey, we want to get in their hands quickly. Fair enough. So we'll randomly pick a bunch of folks who replied, and we'll ask only for your address and get you this promo card. I think that works out pretty good, huh? Sure, sure, sure thing. The only caveat I would say is, as we're, we got to cover the shipping. We're not going to make oh, anybody yeah. pay for the shipping. We got to keep it USA only. Yeah, sorry. Now, you know what, Scott? Scratch that. Scratch that. If you're out of the U.S., if you are out of the U.S. and you're willing to cover the shipping costs, mind you, we don't run a Patreon. We don't. We don't run off the uh, the support mm-hmm. of our our listeners. So everything's out of pocket. The, anybody who wins, the shipping's out of our pocket. If you're overseas, we can't cover the shipping. But if you really want one, respond to that post. Say, hey, I want one. I'll cover the shipping because I'm in. I don't know. Germany or, or India or whatever. We'll, we'll get we'll get one of these promos in your hands. And then we can actually say, hey, we have a listener in Germany. <laughs> we, we have several. I don't know why, but the Czech Republic this month, for whatever reason, we have hundreds and hundreds of Czech Republic downloads. Like, I was, you look down the list and it's like, okay, USA is the bulk of our downloads. Mm-hmm. And then like Canada, England, you know, like the, the usual suspects, what you would expect. And then every now and then we hit a month, like... I'll get the Apple podcast update and it's like, you're like number seven in Israel. <laughs> I'm like, what? Why? <laughs> Who in Cambodia is downloading the Level Up Board Game podcast? But uh, yeah, sometimes it surprises me. Czech Republic this month, uh, don't know how to say thank you in Czech, but thank you. Yes. Now, one last thing. I just got to sneak in right at the very end. All right. All right. I know how you are about these things. You used to be the magic player. And oh, then also yeah. you have this soft spot for My Little Pony, right? I always will. That's like that's like my daughter's Ninja Turtles. That's her. That, and not anymore. She's over. Although, she, it, before bed tonight, she was watching The New Generation. So, oh. it's not completely gone. But screw them. Friendship is magic is the My Little Pony that I fell in love with. 
Well, I haven't seen any definite details about this, but I have heard Magic the Gathering is coming out with another set of oh, My Little Pony come cards. Come on. Nah, you know what? I'm going to stick with what I got. I've got my, my promos from that old Secret Lair thing. There's three cards in it. I have a, It's Twilight Sparkle, and it's rare. Mm-hmm. You know what? I don't have to get into details. I don't think I'm going nuts for any more My Little Pony. Get out of here. Okay. Well, hey, just had to be sure to bring that up, just in case. Recent adventures. Let's do this. And Scott, I want to start with one that you and I both had the pleasure of playing, hosted by Josh. Teacher Ryan was in on it. With his wife, we played Alice is Missing. Now, this is going to be board game adjacent. So uh, let's, why don't, you know what? Let's turn on the music. Okay, Alice is Missing is a game for three to five players that is kind of, let's call it a silent role-playing game. And I say board game adjacent because there isn't a structured rule set. No one's going to walk away winning. It's just emulating a scenario, kind of a potentially traumatic scenario. Yes, And the only way that you get to communicate with other people is via text message. Now, the way that the, quote, game works is you've got this, we'll call it a tree of cards. You always start with this one, and then you put a couple down, then a few down, then a couple down, and the game plays for an hour and a half. And at various intervals, somebody, one person who has, like, the that specific number, because it'll count down from 100 and... Uh, was it 90 minutes down to zero minutes and Mm -hmm. whenever we hit the 70 minute mark if you're the person that has a 70 minute card in front of them you get to pick up one of those 70 minute cards you read it to yourself and it gives you some form of story to to interject some way to keep the narrative going and the narrative is alice's brother comes back to town and alice (laughs) alice how about this alice is missing shut up (laughs) exactly Everybody plays a character, uh, and you get your character at random. They are they're kind of fixed, you know. It's not like you get to make your own. Like if you're going to be the the nerd kid that thinks he's got a shot with Alice, you're dealt that card, and you're dealt mm-hmm. like you're dealt some relationship cards too. It says, you know what, somebody's going to be Tracy. Here's how you feel about Tracy. It gives you an idea of how you want to behave. And as we played. We found that you didn't have to lean into that too much. It was more of a way to like hold your, like not just hold your hand, but tug you by the arm to get you to start yeah, acting yeah. a certain, like get in on this, right? The, the game wants to pull out emotions. We'll get there. Anywho, over the span of an hour and a half, things are, are potentially going to escalate depending on how bought in the players are. And at the end of that hour and a half, you'll have some form of resolution. Now that tree of cards, uh, it does branch off in different ways. I, I looked into it a lot more after we played, but knew a little bit before, that mm-hmm. you're not always going to see the same first, uh, or the, the same, we'll say, third card, the same eighth card, right, or the right. same resolution. So it does change from play to play. The game's being played over text, which in our case, we did it via computer. So we were all messaging on uh, on Discord. We turned mm-hmm. on, we, we all turned on our music. Josh said, make yep. sure you turn on music. We all changed our names and a box. Uh, inside the box in the rule book, it even says when you're setting this game up and you're like, if, if you and me and Jimmy are playing, it says, change Scott's name in your darn phone. Don't be messaging Scott when you play. Mm-hmm. Change his name to Trudy and yep. make him be Trudy and change his name to Carl. Uh, Jimmy's not going to be Jimmy. He's going to be Carl in your phone so that you're actively seeing the names of those people. So it's an experiential exercise that is potentially traumatic. Obviously, somebody missing, this isn't necessarily going to 
Well, I don't want to say it's not necessarily going to have a happy ending. It's going to lean towards having an unhappy ending. Yes. Though the endings are variable. Uh, what did you think of this one, Scott? I'm glad I played it. I think this is one of those games you definitely have should play with people you know. This is not one of those games you just want to go in and like with a bunch of people, oh, hey, let's play this. Mm-hmm. It's a lot better when you play with people you know because – like you said, it does touch on some things that could trigger some emotional feelings, some different things that happen. So it's very important to kind of set a guideline mm-hmm. as to how far you want to go with this game, because it can get a little rough. It really kind of gave me the feeling of the TV show Twin Peaks. It was really interesting how those things uh, worked out and how we're texting back and forth. And like you said, with the relationships, you have certain relationships with certain people. So you might be a little bit more open with talking to someone else about, say, that you're playing Tommy, Alice's brother. Mm -hmm. So I might text Jimmy about, well, Tommy's acting a little weird here. What's it up? So you really have to go into the whole idea of playing that person. Now, I haven't really done many role-playing games, or or any really, to really in-depth part. So this was all kind of new to me in Mm -hmm. a way that I was really just giving up Scott. Now, as I started, it was a little weird. It was kind of like, this is kind of stupid. But as it went on and things started amping up, then it got a little bit more frantic, texting people back and forth. What's going on? Have you seen this? Have Wait, some... Well, I don't want to give out too much stuff because it does really amp up. And those last 20 minutes, 10 minutes even, really get a bit frantic. But it's an experience. I think if you have a chance to play it, try it out. It's it's definitely something that you want to try. I don't think it's something that I'm going to go back and revisit, but it's definitely something I'm glad that I did give it a try. Yeah, it's it's one that I've, I've thought that too. Am I going to play it again? And I think... Similar to how Josh, uh, he tends to be the one that sets up and, and we'll say facilitates the game. I wouldn't mind setting it up and facilitating the game just to see how a different group of friends mm, might behave. Yeah. I think the characters, you tend to correlate them to that one play. Like if we play again and Tommy doesn't behave the way that Josh was behaving with Tommy, you know, making that character act like... He was the one kind of pushing, like, are, are you crazy? Are you, why are you being so cool about this? Because my character had said, you, you got to play it cool. You got, you're the one that shrugs things off with a joke because you're trying to hide that you're kind of nervous about that Alice right. is missing. So you, you, you make a practical joke out of things. And I was trying to play into that. You know, oh, it's not a big deal. And, and he messaged me directly. He's like, dude, what's, what's wrong with you? Why are you, why are you behaving this way? <laughs> like, my sister's missing. Are you crazy? Like, what do you know? And it's like, oh. That's intense. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> that, yeah, definitely. That is intense. I like that the story escalates, and I love that the cards sometimes – I don't know that it's going to work this way every time, but it felt like when we would try and come up with a situation because they'll they'll give you some characters. They'll say, okay, pick one of the characters, pick one of the locations. So you start interweaving things. Who is the teacher? There was a teacher in our, in our game, Mr. Oh. Something uh, – We'll call him yeah. Mr. Hemlock. Okay, so Mr. Hemlock became a part of our story and may may have been suspicious, maybe not. Oh, and the lighthouse was kind of suspicious. Yes, yes. Yeah, the lighthouse so, keeper. Yes. So we're coming up with things about those locations. Just there, there's nothing guiding you. You can make yeah. up whatever you want. But then later on, like 
you'll you know a new card will flip over and it'll be we'll say uh, a knife or a jacket with blood on it and it's like wait a minute wait a minute and then later on it's like okay flip over two more cards and there's Mr. Hemlock again. You know, something something crazy traumatic has happened and you pick up a photograph and who's in that photograph with Alice? Mm. You flip it over and one person knows that. They got the photo. So they share it with the table via that text. It is a very unique experience and uh, very happy to have done it. I, I, I don't know. What do you think? Is this one that you would recommend? Now, we're board gamers. We want to sit down and play a game and rack our brain and try and come away the winner. This is very much not that. Thoughts on it overall? Like, I know you said you don't know that you'd care to play it again. Is this one that mm-hmm. you would recommend to people that are like, yeah, we're looking to play a board game? No. Yeah, well, no. not at face value, but talk me into the scenario where it's right. If you're sitting down and you're going to have a board game weekend, no. If you're going into a weekend saying, hey, we're going to play a bunch of games and just kind of leave it open-ended that way. So that could really turn out to being card games or you may do some role-playing games. You don't want to go into it with the idea that, yes, we're going to play board games. That's it. That's kind of iffy there. If you have a bunch of people that, like I said, this really shines whenever you play with people that you know. Mm-hmm. If you go into something strange with someone that you don't know, you aren't that familiar with, I don't know what what that could stir up in some people because I don't know how deep people get into their role-playing games. I don't know if something in it is going to trigger an anger motive, guilt motive, or a victim motive, or anything like that. So it's something you really need to touch on carefully when you're playing that. Now, you know what, I, I wouldn't that, have even gone in that direction. I would have gone in the direction of you want to play with people that you know because the game challenges you to let your guard down. And we're a bit more comfortable when it's people that we're familiar with. But go on. Saying it that way and giving that kind of description, that would be enough for people to say whether or not they're interested into it. So I think that's the best way to really go about it. Like potentially traumatic scenario and you're playing out the events of it as though it was real life. Scott, was this game fun? Is Alice's Missing? Was it fun? Did you have fun playing it? Oh, that is a tough weird question. <laughs> yeah, it is. You know, um, why don't I take it so that you can? Uh, I, I'll I'll answer, and then I want to yeah, hear what you have ahead. to say. I'm going to say, I'm going to say, yes, it was fun in that the experience felt genuine, and the people were buying into it, and it was unbelievably unique compared with anything else that I've played. I'm also going to say, no, it was not fun because I didn't walk away from it going, wow, I want to do that again. <laughs> Boy, that was a real hoot. <laughs> it is, uh, you know, it, it, it wants to be emotional. I'm not one to buy it. You know, I wasn't like leaving the game going, wow, that was an emotional experience. You know, I, I'm I'm pretty good at separating myself uh, from, dude, yeah. if it was happening in real life, you know me, I'd be like, well, okay, maybe they'll turn up. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. What do you say? Was was this game fun? No. Okay. I'm just going to come right out and say, no, it was not fun. But my caveat here is it was enjoyable to try it. It was fun to do. Will I play it again? Probably not. Because number one, the time frame, 90 minutes, I think I would know I could probably play another game in 90 minutes that I would enjoy more. Mm-hmm. If that's something that really strikes you, that you really like role-playing, oh my God, try this out. I mean, this could give you a whole new aspect on role-playing and really give you something new 
a new way to kind of flex your imagination sure, uh, into sure. the way that you're playing and everything. So You know what? You're going to have a more interesting night if you play this for the first and only time ever than if you were to play Arc Nova for the 18th time. That's, yeah, that's that's a great way of putting it. Perfect way of putting it. Can we agree that I won? Hey, you know what? I got a new game here for recent plays. <laughs> what you got, King? <laughs> okay, there's a lot to it. Mm-hmm. So let me set the stage a little bit first. So I went to a website and I ordered something. Oh, and Scott, then, no, 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 no. Board game podcast, family I, show. I, come on, come on, come on. Just, just go with me, go with me. <laughs> And something happened that I didn't know if I actually ordered it or not. Because it didn't, it, I think I bumped the button or something and it went back and it's like, you have to reload this. Well, I reloaded the page and then like, I don't know if it went through or Is not. Is that your so, excuse with Heather when a game shows up? You go, oh, honey, I just bumped the button. <laughs> I didn't even realize hey, I bought that board Hey, game. <laughs> hey, hey, hey. She's asleep. Keep it down, okay? Oh, sh- but what it was, was I went to the website for Luminaris Games, because I had heard, I'd seen an ad for this at one point in time, and then I heard Jamie on Secret Cabal going on about this, and I'm like, yeah, I gotta check this out. So I placed an order for Leaving Earth. This is, let me give you a little read down here. The year is 1956. Mankind stands at the dawn of a new age, the space age. When the flying bombs of yesteryear will become the rocket ships of tomorrow. As the director of a national space program, your country is depending on you for success in this great contest. You may even be the first to create an artificial satellite, send a probe to another planet, or even put a man on the moon. Now then, speaking with Dan with Obsession, this is kind of the same thing. His was a game of love there, of Obsession. It was something that wasn't there. This game is another one that's made with love because when you order it, they don't have them sitting on the shelf. They have to get everything made special for your box to come in the mail. Mm. So everything is made just for your game. Handcrafted. You've got the little wooden burned pieces with the sand timers, all the different satellites, the rockets. All this is, is you have a bunch of cards you put out there where there's a lunar flyby. You have the moon, you have the earth, you have Mars, you have Venus. You have all these cards you place out in a certain way on the table. Each one of these will have a number next to it where it's maybe a four. So you need a four to get into lunar orbit. That seems pretty simple. I need a four to get into lunar orbit. Well, this is where it gets a little mathy. You take a look at it, you put down your rocket that you're going to send to the moon into lunar orbit. Well, you need to get off the ground. So let's add on some rockets to that. All right, we got the rockets on there. The rockets get you into orbit, but whenever you're figuring out all the information in the math for how much weight is going into into space, how much weight you need to get the satellite back or the astronaut back to Earth, well, you don't have enough there. You sent the astronaut up into space, but Uh-oh. you don't have enough to get him down. Ground control to Major Tom. <laughs> yeah. So, back to the drawing board. You take a look at it again. We got to add more rockets to this here in order to get them back. Well, that's going to increase the weight going up, so you need to add more rockets to that to make up for the weight for the rockets. You're just trying to get them back. All these things go on, And you have different missions that you need to go on where you're getting moon rocks and bringing them back, where you're going into Mars orbit and then coming back. All these different things. So you have to figure out 
all the math for what it's going to take to put those rockets into space. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. I am just going giddy with this thing here. I mean, I almost feel like I need a slide rule and a compass drawing out things. Heather's going to think I'm like building a bomb back here or something. <laughs> but it is just such a beautiful production. It just drips of like the space race between Russia and U.S. And you have China that's going. You have France that's going. You have all these different space programs going into space trying to do it. So you can play up to five players in this game. Mm-hmm. But I think this really shines as one of those things where you've got a rainy afternoon, there's nothing on TV or anything at all. You put this out on your table and you just sit there and you start mathing the hell out of going to space. And this Fly is going to be, oh, this is going to be just scratching that itch for such, so many hours. I mean, it's they're saying it could go one to three hours. And I think that's going to be one to three hours of pure joy whenever you're playing this thing here. I cannot wait to sit down and knock out an entire game of this. And they have expansions for this going out to, you can build space stations where you're going to go to space stations, add things on there, send them out to the outer planets. So you're going to be going out to Jupiter and uh, Neptune and Uranus and all these different planets. I'm not going to go on Pluto. I don't want any hate mail. Top-notch production. Hats off to Luminaris for, for doing this game and really putting their love into every box that they sent out there. I cannot recommend this game higher. It really, really is awesome. You know what we're going to do is, since we're already planning up a level back with Yokohama as the feature review, I want mm-hmm. you to have that ready for a level back solo land. Oh, we'll you do got solo it. adventures. We haven't done it in a while. And you also, I'm also going to challenge you. You got to teach me how to play this thing. I told you when I saw it at the shop, so I show up at SCG and there's Scott in the back fidgeting around with the little Star Wars characters from his Shatterpoint. Mm-hmm. And you were you're like, hey, Pat, look at this. And you open the box and there's Leaving Earth. You're like, look at the cards. Look at the bitch. Showing me all the bitch, all excited about this. And I told you, at one point I bought it just to resell. I got got a steal mm-hmm. of a deal and I was like, well, I'll buy it. Opened the box, saw the rule book and I was like, whoa, math. And closed the box, uh, rule book in it and made probably $10 selling it, whatever. That's that's not the point. Point is, I am interested and I'm glad to hear that you're excited to play this too. Let's get it in solo adventures in an upcoming, we'll do a do a level backup. So maybe before the end of uh, this, this season of the show. That sounds awesome. And yeah, I mean, I'm definitely going to be ordering the expansions for this without a doubt because i saw on a video i was looking at a video for how to play and get an idea of things they had the outer planets laid out with Mm. the original one so the original box comes with just leaving earth and the mercury expansion so you Mm. have venus mars and mercury and earth and the moon the outer planets oh my god putting all those cards out together it forms this big like mural almost of all the planets in the solar system looks absolutely gorgeous excellent well that's leaving earth yes 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 hey scott you see that picture i posted on instagram of card combos in board games yeah i I did and i love the combos but something else that I liked were those card holders, those sweet little card holders. Oh, heck yeah. Scott, those are Titans. T-I apostrophe T-A-I-N-S. Titans. 
You know what, I love them for sharing photos of games, sure, but man, I use these for all sorts of things in games, especially when like you have a character card or a bunch of items that don't belong in a specific spot on the table. It gives a nice 3D aesthetic to the table, and honestly, some games, it just makes it more practical. I've been busting these things out a bit. All right, all right. So if I want to get my hands on some, like for Arkham Horror, that one's a great one because you want to keep your character up and all this other kind of stuff. Where do I find them? I got mine from etsy.com slash shop slash infinitions tabletop. You can find the link in the show notes. And you know what? Howard hooked us up with a promo code just for our listeners. Adventures, get yourself geared up with Titans and get 10% off your order with promo code LEVELUP2022. L-E-V-E-L-U-P-2022. All caps, no spaces. Um, can I use the code? You're going to have to take that one up with Howard. Okay, so where do I get them again? That's etsy.com slash shop slash infinitions tabletop. You can see it in our show notes, or you can just go right to our website and click the link on the main page. Sweet. Titans card holders. All right, King, I want to talk about a game designed by Thomas DuPont and published in 2023 by Bombix. Let's uh, let's start here. The name Thomas DuPont, he is a designer with several credits, none of which are as popular as this is going to end up. I think his highest ranked game is somewhere around 4,000. Uh, this one's going to climb higher, I think. I've been on BGA and I saw Lana was playing it. I said, Lana, you got to teach me how to play NAR. K-N-A-R-R. NAR. Okay. In NAR from BGG, you are the leader of a band of Vikings that you send to new destinations. Manage the recruitment of your crew and choose the best territories to explore. Depending on the destinations reached, for trading or influence, and the Vikings who accompany, you can increase your reputation to gain even more wealth. So, first off, Vikings, I feel like that's uh, the, the last craze, but you know what? It fits really, really well in this game. How does it play out on the table? You've got five different colors of cards. This is a this is a card game at heart, Scott. Okay. You got a symbol on the top of each card that says what it does. You start the game with two of the cards already in play for yourself in your tableau. Like you get this little boat tile, gotcha. and underneath it is where you're going to be placing your five cards in columns according to color, and two cards are already there. They're random. So suppose you have a green card in your hand that has a point symbol on top of it. You play it to the green column. And let's say that it's the first green card that you played. Great. You get one point because that's what's on that card. Then you get to draw a card, and that comes from the main board underneath the green symbol. You played a green card, you get the card that's in that slot. It's not necessarily going to be a green card. It just, the green indicator is because you played green, you take this card. Sure. Um, now, next turn, let's suppose you play another green card, and this one's got the bracelet symbol on the top. It goes right underneath your previously played green card, and you not only get a bracelet from playing this green card, but you also get every other symbol for every other green card above it. In this case, you get that point again. Mm, okay. So to understand the nuances and what's going on here, we kind of got to talk about what the symbols offer, of which there are only four. There's this triangle-looking thing. I want to call it a pyramid or a prism. I don't know. What very professional description I know. It gives you a point. That's what the triangle does. It's going to give right. you a point. Bracelet symbol gives you just that, a bracelet. We'll get there. The potion symbol gives you reputation. Now, simply put, this is a track that when you hit certain points on the track, you'll gain a point per turn. If you hit the next threshold, you'll be gaining two points per turn, etc. Right? You're playing a bit of the long game, but like after five potion symbols, now you're ticking a point per turn. Okay. After eight of them, you're going to be getting two points a turn. Like you can start to run away if, if you're leading on that pretty uh, pretty heavily. Right. 
Finally, you've got the helmet symbol, and that gives you recruits. And these can be spent to take your, you know, I said you play your green card, and you have to take from the green slot, right. whatever uh-huh. card is there. You can spend a recruit, and you can take any one of the five that are available on the main oh, board. All market. right, all right. Recruits also help out because you might not play a card on your turn, and you might instead opt to do an exploration action, the other thing that you can do. This is easy, but I got to rewind a little bit. When you set up the game, there's a deck of simple exploration cards and a, a deck of more costly exploration cards, and okay. three of As each I are available. Expect, yes. Mm-hmm. You got three of each available at all times. Again, like a market. Now, these cards have some points on them, sure, but they also have symbols. And the symbols, they're the same symbols that you find at the top of your cards, actually. Your player board, your boat, right? In the very middle of your boat, not where you're playing your Vikings, but just in the middle of the boat on the, on the top of it, there's these, these three columns there. Mm-hmm. And when you explore, you tuck the new exploration card underneath where that column is because the exploration cards also have those three little, like, neat pattern designed column things so it makes the columns taller and those columns might have they might have uh, symbols in them make sense yes yes so i start the game i've got three columns with one symbol showing i a point in the second column but i get an exploration card and i tuck it underneath there now my first column has a potion symbol my second column still has that point symbol but now it's also got another one so your columns will get better from exploring and why is that important Why is that important, Patrick? (laughs) Glad you asked. Regardless of of your main action, whether you explored or played a card to your tableau, you always finish the turn with the trade option, and that's where our bracelets come into play. You can spend one bracelet to activate that first column of exploration cards. Two bracelets for the second and three to get all three. Play is going to go back and forth until someone hits 40 points and wins the game. I got to tell you, I'm looking at this on BGG right now. Mm-hmm. And the artwork is stunning. Isn't it, though? Oh, my God. And it's like, I don't know if there are copies of the characters in there or not, but everyone looks different, and they are stunning. Absolutely stunning. I want to play this just from seeing the artwork. And sure, it's on BGG. It's, it's nice and everything there. It's going to have nice implementation. But looking at the production, I want the physical copy of this because it looks so good. Well, I learned it from Lana, and you'll be happy to know that she got the physical copy in already. She sent me a picture. She's like, look what I got. And she's coming to PGX. So oh. if she has it with us, it's a quick game. It's an easy teach. And I bet you uh, she'd be happy to teach you. But let's talk about some highlights of the game. You know, we, we talked about what's going on. First of all, first thing I wrote down, you already got it. Excellent artwork on those oh, Vikings. Yeah. The exploration cards have really great artwork on them, too. You know, for a card game, the art's a bit of a highlight here. It can be a thinky game with a good bit of strategy for something so simple. You know, I've probably played a dozen games now between Lana and I, I played once with Ryan. And uh, we've had games where the winner went heavy into exploration or bracelets or mm-hmm. stacking cards. Like that whole stacking cards thing. If I play a yellow card, I get what's on it. Another yellow card, I get two things. What's on okay. my new one? If I play a third yellow card, I get three things. What happens when I have six of them and I you know, I play a sixth yellow card? I get six different symbols worth of stuff? You wow. betcha. <laughs> yeah. Oh. And that creates some interplay with the players. Like, well, geez, Pat's got four yellows sitting there. I can't let him have this yellow. So I'm right. going to I'm gonna take it from – oh, you got me there. There's a ton of interaction and a ton of viable strategies, it feels. It's not the most interactive game. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you're not doing like take that stuff. It, it, there's the racing element. Going up that right. reputation track and potentially sharking away a card that someone else wanted. And I think in a two-player game, because that's mostly what I've been playing, you've got the task of keeping play, uh, keeping pace with the other player. Right, I, yeah. 
It's very, very well done. Adventures, this game can be finished on BGA. You can get a game done in like 10 minutes. I'm guessing on the table, half an hour. And for a game this light, there's a ton of meaningful decisions. I'm giving a big thumbs up to NAR. I could see that. That looks really, really good. And uh, thanks, Lana, for teaching me. Uh, see, it's in the future. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't anyone tell Carl it's not Halloween yet? Oh, he's dressed up all fancy like. I know, I know, I know. Carl, Probably. well done. Yeah. It's time for the Top 100 Update. We have some prime movers. Brass Lancashire is up two spots to number 19. Frosthaven is up two to number 57. No debuts in the Top 100. No changes in the Top 10. However, we have a new highest peak, and that's Frosthaven at number 57. Happy birthdays! Nemesis has been on there for four years. I still think of Nemesis as a new game. There it is. Four years on there. The Seventh Continent, six years. Concordia for nine years. And I want you to guess Android Netrunner. Oh, oh, God. Oh, I should know this. I'm going to say 12 years. Close. It's 11. 11 years for Android Netrunner. Happy birthday to those. Well, hey, I got one other one here, too. A little bit lower down here, but broke into top 200. What? Final Girl. Woohoo! Oh, is that right? Oh, yes, it's, it's 199. A, it's a ways away, but uh, maybe sometime in season four of the show, we'll have a Final Girl <laughs> on the top 100 watch. Sounds Scott, good. We've been going long. We've got a lot to do. We still have Josh visiting. We've got adventures on the horizon. For now, it's time to get on to today's review game, Neotopia. Take it away. Hey adventurers, King Scott here, and today's 8-bit breakdown is coming to us from Arcane Wonders, who were kind enough to provide us a copy of Neotopia. Neotopia is a 2023 release designed by Orlando Sa and Andre Santos. In Neotopia, you're trying to complete the most self-sustaining city on the planet, before your opponents. In order to do this, you need some stuff. This stuff comes in the form of tokens representing sustainable energy, biofarming, technology, and community. The board is set up in three different regions. In between each region is a factory, and in the center of the board, there is a stack of production tiles. On the three factories, you will place one of each color token. Each player will take one of the tokens shown on the middle tile and place them anywhere near the center of each of the regions. The center tile will show symbols of the tokens you will place that will fill the factories once one of them is emptied. Next, you're going to place four bonus tokens into each region. More on these bonus tokens shortly. Next, you'll place the deck of cards showing projects that can be constructed to make your city. This will be a deck and four cards shown up, making up a market, if you will. Each player will draw three cards and you're ready to start the game. Each turn, you will perform three actions. One of those actions can be drawing a card from the face-up cards or one from the deck. The other action you can do is you can place a token from one of the three factories. Your third action can be another one of these. Drawing the project cards will show you a picture of the project you're trying to complete in a pattern of symbols that match the tokens you're putting out. You can have any number of these cards in your hand, so you have options. 
Your second action you can take is to place a token in a region. The thought behind this is to match the patterns on your project cards. When you place a token that completes a pattern on one of your cards, you can score the points listed on the card. One thing you cannot do is build a project whose picture matches the last one built in that region. You have to diversify, duh. Remember those bonus tokens I mentioned? If you place a token on top of one of those, you can retrieve it and it will give you, yep, you guessed it, a bonus. These bonuses will allow you to draw two extra cards, take an extra action, pick an extra token from the supply, or build outside the normal space of the regions. Each time one of the factories is empty, you'll take the four tokens in the center tile and remove it, then place tokens matching the next four symbols. Take your actions, replace tokens, and continue fulfilling projects until you reach the last center tile. To determine the winner, add up the tokens of your color in the region you have the most. I bet you can't guess what the next one is. Next up, add up the tokens in the region you have the second highest. Now finally, in the lowest region that you have left, add those up, but multiply this number by three. The player with the most points at the end of the game wins. Now, let's see how ecologically friendly we can be as Patrick and I talk about Neotopia. The year is 2025. A group of entrepreneurs set track to create the most advanced city on the whole planet. A city that can sustain itself in terms of food and energy production and a cluster for scientific development where man and nature bond in an integrated and symbiotic way. The success of this venture depends on an harmonic relationship between the three regions of the city, where nothing and nobody can be left behind. <laughs> I don't know why I was tapering to give you something to say. Hoodies for so you're welcome. <laughs> it's not funny, Scott. This is hard. Okay. Adventures, as you know, we like to break down our review games into the 8-bit breakdown, looking at eight facets of this game, starting with the art and components, and finishing with was it fun and who's it for. Scott, bit number one, we're going to talk art and components, and how I got to tell you, this thing's pretty nice. I like those, uh, you got those big chonky tokens in there. Mm-hmm. What yes, do you have and to that, say? that is the technical term from chonky. Chonky. And I just got to say, I want to put this out here as well. I must thank Arcane Wonders for supplying us with this game for review. So thank you, Arcane Wonders. Yeah, the art is very nice in this. It's very bright, very vibrant. The tokens that you have are bright colors. So it really does get the whole idea of Neotopia. You think of a utopia, you think of a bright future. So it does give you the feeling of a bright future. Mm -hmm. um, so the tokens, they stand for energy and biofarming, technology and community. Like you said, they're nice and chunky. The project cards, I wish they had a little bit different artwork. And no, scratch that. I wish there were more diverse options for them. Yeah, I think But that's I understand because at. in the rules, under the constraints of the rules, this is important for them to have similar artwork on them. I can understand that why they have very similar stuff. What did you think about the art and components? 
Well, again, love the chunky tokens. Uh, the board's nice and clean. Colors are vibrant. Uh, 100% agree with you. The cards didn't feel flimsy. They didn't feel like, no. wow, these cards are linen finish and whatnot. But I don't think that that's what you're looking for when you're buying Neotopia. I did like the art on the cards too. I thought it was a highlight, though. I don't know that it helps much for theme and immersion. Bit number two, which I'm going to, I'll lead off because okay. you look at the cover of this. Cover this box, you got those four symbols. You got that like diamond shape thing going on you see this mm-hmm. red building this purple neon like futuristic city and then this big tree growing on top of all these buildings it looks like wow i want to dive into this world and at no point in gameplay are you diving <laughs> into this world this is a there's a very spatial relations uh, uh pieces on the board where are things at kind of game where you're not telling a story in any capacity you know there's nothing that's going to be like wow we're really constructing the city Mm -hmm. you're arranging tokens in in color patterns to trade in cards to get the points there's nothing wrong with that but theme and immersion is certainly not uh, in my book it's not going to score very high for neotopia yeah and that's that's same thing there i mean the theme is there it doesn't feel completely attached to the game mechanics or the game itself it, it fits well. I mean, you do have the idea whenever you look at everything, you are building satellites to get power. You are working on different sorts of farming, different technology, the communities, things like that. Immersion, it's not as much there. I did not feel, like you said, that I was building plants for a better society. I was placing tokens to match patterns on the cards. That was mm-hmm. the main point of what I was doing there. Yeah, the power-up tokens. I'm just trying to to stretch the pieces over there so I can get one of the tokens or moving up the tracks yes. uh, around the outside of the board. Uh, to get at another certain token. points, you get like another token. And you know, I guess thematically, they want to be like, oh, you're you're doing well with uh, with building up and reinforcing that side. And, you know, it, that's your reward for it. But realistically, it's it's some numbers. You're, okay, right, right. I need to get this side better. Because at the end of the game, you're going to score the weakest of the three. You're going to get double that one. So if you have like, uh, we'll say that you have nine points, eight points, and two points. We get to double the two points and turn it into four. So you would be much better off, in fact, with seven, seven, and, and five. You know, you don't want your lowest score to be low. You want to be at, you want right. to have your lowest score be very high. Have the three pretty close to each other. But that's not going to. Not going to pull me in, not going to immerse me in the world of the game. I will say those that are going to like Neotopia, they don't care. Because I'll tell you another game that that I I think I can draw some parallels to here is Azul. And I was like, okay, Mm -hmm. this is very uh, uh, spatial relations, chunky tiles. And you know what? No one's playing Azul because they're getting sucked into the world of building – what is it? Are you building a a window? A mosaic. It's uh, Sagrada's, the, the stained glass window. Yes, yes. Okay. Folks that are going to like Neotopia are going to like a game like Azul and Sagrada, and they don't care that they don't feel like they're, you know, in the world. Right, right, yeah. Now, bit number three is the complexity. So I'm going to jump in with this one real quick, if you don't Have mind. at it. Mm-hmm. So whenever you look at it the first time, you open it up, you punch out all the pieces, you look at all those big tokens you have there, seems like there's a lot going on there. But it's not, but it's a very inviting game to play. Mm-hmm. The complexity comes to those with, I hate to say it this way, but those with no spatial awareness. My wife would have a horrible time playing this because <laughs> she would get fatigued by trying to pick out the patterns in all different directions. She just cannot move her brain around that way. She's very straightforward, nice and narrow, 
go from point A to point B. She isn't good from point A to point B, might be going through point R to come back over to S to go to C. So she's not really good at that. So <laughs> if you're good at spatial awareness, uh, like uh, um, Robo Rally, that was another one there. Just thinking like, okay, you're going straight, then you have to turn, then you have to go this way. If you're good at those kind of games there, this is going to be right down your alley because you have to look and pick out the different patterns of tokens and the different colors in different areas there. So that's very important. What did you think you about the Did you say right down your alley? Right down your alley, yes. It's right up your alley. Who the hell's going down the alley? That I don't even know what that means. Right up your alley means you're going to like it. Right down your alley, I assume, means you're going to hate it. So, Patrick, what did you think about the complexity? This is an easy game. It's not hard to figure out. Uh, the rulebook's relatively quick. The turns are turns are really simple. Complexity, mm-hmm. if you know, basically don't be intimidated. The board looks busy with all those circles on yes. it. And you got all these tokens with different colors. You got three tracks going around the outside. It's like, whoa, hold on a minute. I don't know if I'm ready for this. You're ready for this. If you're listening yes. to a board game podcast, you're a big nerd. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, adventurer. You're just like us, nerdy, and we love you. You're not going to have any problem figuring this game out. Now, are you going to be able to introduce it to casuals and they're going to be able to play it? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. It's just not that difficult. They're, you say, okay, here's what we're doing. You're making these patterns and you're trying to draw cards with that have patterns that you think that you can complete based on what's already out there. And whenever you place the last token and you can show a card and be like, look, I just completed the pattern on this card, you get to cash it in for some points. Yep. That's it. Tokens come from three different areas and they can only go to one of the adjacent two playing areas. That's the rules. Uh, I was surprised when when we were playing this at SCG. It was kind of funny. I showed up and I told you, I was like, Scott, I don't have as much time as I thought. So one of the joys of having rental properties is occasionally you get a random phone call (laughs) or a random text about things like there's water all over the bathroom floor. And you go, oh, crap. Let me tell you, water is the enemy. Water is life, Mm -hmm. but water for a house's death. So naturally, I'm like, okay, I got to go address the plumbing. And they said, okay, we don't have to, we'll forego taking a shower later. So I go over there and I'm looking around. I cannot emulate what's getting this water on the floor. No clue. So I I turn the shower off and it's like, okay, fine. I got to go behind and I have an access panel where I can see the plumbing, but I can't see down, like the pipe then goes down through a board. Long story short, I had to cut a hole in the wall. Then I went to the other side and I found out it had nothing to do with the plumbing. It was strictly <laughs> the, that I needed to re-silicone the, the trough in between the shower wall and the base, the tub itself. So I put in the silicone and they went, crap, I've got to go patch a wall now. <laughs> so <It's> listeners, all- <laughs> what it comes down to is putting silicone <laughs> and patching a wall is more difficult than this game. No, well, that, that's for certain. Point is, I told you, I don't have a whole lot of time because I had to go address that. And you were like, I think we're going to be okay. And you know what? Yes. We were plenty okay. Oh, I yes, feel yes. like I could play this game. I could teach it tomorrow and have no problems having uh, only played it a few times, handful of times with you. Easy game. Let's move on to the rule book and the learning curve. I already kind of covered the learning curve as you're the one that taught it. I'll say the curve is simple. If you're a gamer, there is nothing to it. If you want to teach it to a casual, I don't think they're going to have any issues picking it up. You just maybe remind, oh yeah, on your turn, you either draw a card or you get to place one of the tokens, uh, two of the tokens, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Okay. what do you think of the rule book? Well, as you know, with my way of looking at rule books, I tend to look at them and think, oh, I know how to do this and end up missing a bunch of the rules. This one, no. You go through it, you read it from front to back, it's maybe four pages 
and you were able to play this right away. Uh, mm-hmm. Very simple, very straightforward, very, really very, very easy, very inviting, like I said, for you to get in and play this game. I suppose we had to look at the back of the rule book once or twice to see, oh, wait, what does that token do? There's yeah, four different symbols on the tokens. There, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, the reference is right there. That's not hard. Bit number five is the meat. And I've been waiting all week to hear your thoughts on the meat. I've got mine. Uh, This is not the meatiest game we've reviewed. This is definitely on the lighter end. So where's the meat in Neotopia? What I think is being able to spot the patterns you're looking for. You taught me a different way of looking at it. Because you may be looking one direction, not realizing that it's been there for three turns already because you did not look at it a different way. So that's such an important thing there to be able to look at all the stuff from really high up and get a full vision of look at the at the board. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was really my biggest part there. What did you think to me the game was? Well, I agree with you. I think definitely it's what's on the board. What are the patterns that are available? And what are the patterns that I need to get to? I think also there's something about like when you place that final token to complete a pattern, mm-hmm. that's when you get to trade in the card. So theoretically, if you can find a way to in a turn, like, okay, I have these three cards. I can place this token and that token. And look, ba-bam, I just did two cards in mm-hmm. one go. That's really cool. Those little tokens are going to facilitate your ability to do that. One of the tokens basically is cash it in to do one of the basic actions again. And that can make for some really cool turns. Takes like It feels like that's going to take a little bit of setup. You're going to need things to work out just right. But I think maybe the meat of the game, as we play more and more and we start to like get better and better at it, I think that's going to be one of the difference makers between a win and a loss is who got what tokens and how did they use them Did they make it work out when they did use them? I think that's going to be a differentiator between a win and a loss. Also, of course, a lot of the meat is then balancing those three sectors of the map. Oh, yes. Because like we said earlier, you know, the idea is Neotopia. You're trying to get a harmonious city. And to do that, that, that's why the scoring makes your lowest sector get double the points. Mm -hmm. You don't want to have a 15, a 14, and a 3. You'd rather right, see right. an 11, 11, and a 9 because that nine's going to get – what is it, doubled or tripled? Did they, uh, tri- tripled, actually, I believe. Tripled. Tri- yes. Oh, so there you go. It's it's that much more important, in fact. Bit number six, we move on to the replayability and variability. What you got, King? Okay, variability comes in the order that the production tiles come up. So mm-hmm. you have the production tiles in the center. So each time that – You move the tiles off of that onto one of the factories, one of the three lines in between the different areas. You take that off and you flip over another one and you see what the new resources are going to be coming out then. Mm -hmm. Now, if someone sees you looking at a certain section, they can easily rush in there, empty out one of the factories and cause it to be refilled with new things and take away your choices. So that's a big thing there that really comes into variability with those production tiles and also the factory tiles that come out, or I'm sorry, just the production tiles. So that is really, really important to be able to time things just right. So that's where the variability comes in. Replayability, it's there, but I don't think this is going to be one of those old chestnuts that are played over and over and over again. Is it good? Is it fun? Yes, to both of those. Yes, it is fun. It is a good game. It's just that your options are limited whenever you're playing with this game. I don't know if there could be an expansion that could be added on to this to make it a little bit deeper 
or if it's just right hitting that sweet spot of what type of game they wanted to get out there. So that's my idea. What's yours on replayability and variability? Well, it's got so many variables, so many minor variables. The tokens that are seated on the board are face down. So you don't know what token you're going to get. That's a variable, but it is minor. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You, you'll discover when you get there. Getting the token is the benefit. And it's always in the same spot, the same distance away from the starting token in each of the sectors. The ordering of the tiles, it's random. There's no way to plan for it or plan against it. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. what's going to come up next. So it it's just yeah. random. Um, maybe maybe a good way to – and for that matter, the market is, is random, what you see there. So we could say, oh, man, you're never going to see the same setup ever. And that's probably true. Yeah. Does that make it replayable? Well, I mean, if you're enjoying the game and you're, you know, the, the challenge of playing against the opponent, sure. But none of the variables are like, you don't have your own asymmetric faction. Right, right. You're not going to have different endgame goals that are going to make you play in a different fashion. It's basically, you're going to be doing the exact same game, but some of the pieces are scrambled around a little bit differently this time. Uh, It's Mm -hmm. like doing one Sudoku puzzle and then flipping the page and doing another Sudoku (laughs) puzzle. They're effectively the same thing. It's the exact same challenge, but things are in slightly different places now. So for me, replayability, variability, the variability is is there's so much that is so minor that I don't think that it enhances replayability. I think the replayability is going to come down to how much you enjoy doing this puzzle. Let's get yes. to bit number seven. Oh, the yes, yes. downsides. You want to take it or you want me to? Oh, I'll take it here. Why not? Um, I think the downside really is the spatial awareness. Uh, when we played, I think I had more fun than you because I spotted the patterns a lot more. And yeah, we were playing one rule slightly wrong. We looked at it and we just finished out the game the same way. So it didn't really change Got in another and we corrected. Yeah. So we've since been going. No problems. Yes. So- this was one that you can't really math it out, which I think you get a lot of enjoyment out of whenever you're playing the games, where you look at what is going to be the most promising move for you. Now, you said with the whole thing of getting three of them together and be able to place that one in there to get all of them together, that's definitely Patrick's way of playing. That's that's the way that you enjoy to play. Uh, not saying it's bad or wrong or good or bad or anything else. It's just the way that you enjoy playing the games. Mm-hmm. So if you want to be able to see your path from start to finish and how you play this game, this isn't the game for you because you have a lot of variables that come out with the different way that the tokens come out and how that's going to be placed. So there's a lot of variables in this. It doesn't make it really a game that is going to lead you from step one to step two to step three. It's going to be step one to step seven to step three and everything else. So We'll say it's tactical. Think in the moment, not grand strategy great way of putting it great way of putting it yes scott there's two things that struck me about neotopia that that i would include in downsides one it's not a game where you're going to have that big exciting moment you know that that big laugh out loud or the walk away and talk about when oh when joe did that wasn't that a huge move no it's very i don't want to say like checkers because even in checkers you can double jump and king me right (laughs) more maybe like a pente uh more of a a, a tactical game like that. Yes, yeah, I think that's a good way of putting it. Yes, I think also that once 
you get, say, halfway through the game and you've got all those tokens on three different segments of the board, I think one of the reasons why I'm a little bit turned off by these kind of games is because if I want to play well, well, I have to sit there and I have to stare at that board. Like I could play this game by mail with someone because mm-hmm. I could receive their mail, see their move, and then I could take hours looking over the board and seeing, okay, knowing the variables, what's my best option here? Right, you've got right. someone in your game group that is a little AP prone, uh, prone to analysis paralysis. They take a little bit long with their turns because they mm-hmm. got to make sure they're doing the best thing. <laughs> oh, man, this this one could really throw them for a loop because there's a ton happening on that board. Yes. By the time you hit you know halfway, two thirds through the game, that's got the potential to crawl. Now, I'm not that type of player. So whenever I play a game like this, I tend to like look. And I look at like two or three of the decisions that could potentially be made. And I'm like, which mm-hmm. of those two or three is, okay, I guess I'll do this one. Right. And I'm sure if I like, if I watched a replay of my game, I could go back and say, oh man, when I did this, I totally <laughs> missed that I could have gone here and done this. And like somebody who's like a genius might be able to look at how I'm playing and go, wow, why didn't he do that? This type of game just doesn't click with me very. You were right when you said, you know, I think this is more my style than Pat's style. You're mm-hmm. absolutely right. That said, bit number eight, was it fun and who's it for? And I'll leave this one off. For me, personally for me, no, it's not one that I would get back to. I would say, no, it's not fun. But I'm also kind of a head case because a game like Sagrada, a game like Azul, I would also walk away from and say, (laughs) no, that's not fun. They're very highly ranked games, very loved games. They're just not my style. And that's why we incorporate Who's It For? And if you like those aforementioned games, if you like a tactical game, space, when we say spatial relations, what we mean is a game where what you do depends on where things are on the board mm-hmm. currently. Simple tactics. Tactic meaning it's something that you can do right now, and it's going to change by the time your turn comes around again. You cannot think grand long term. You've got to do something in the moment. If you like that style of game, and for that matter, the time frame, this is a relatively short game. It can be played in under an hour. Yes. I think you're going to be able to play this with a 10-year-old, and they're going to understand it. And yet, you'll also be able to play with a 50-year-old, and you'll have just as much uh, of, a, of an enjoyable time, just as much of a challenge playing against each other. What do you think, Scott? Was it fun? And who's it for? Yes, I had a good time playing this. And like I said, I don't know if it's going to be an old chestnut that I'm going to be playing 20 years from now, 10 years from now. But it's one that if someone said, hey, we're going to play this, I know that it's going to be a short game. It's not going to be one that's going to hog up two, three hours long or anything like that. And you're still going to get a nice experience out of it. I also think this is a great game for those that like lighter games to play with friends. You're having a game night and want to play a bunch of games. This would be one to definitely add to the list. It doesn't take too long and it doesn't overstay its welcome. It's a nice one to play there to kind of like, whenever you look at the end of the night, hey, we played seven games, seven great games, but it's one that's not going to be that cornerstone of your game night. Sure. Okay. Well, that is Neotopia from Arcane Wonder. Offshore rig, Deep Well 4 has blown out and the rupture is spilling crude oil into the ocean at an alarming rate. Your response team must work together, using your individual talents to avert an ecological disaster, one which threatens to contaminate marine life and devastate the ecosystem. 
one year ago today, we had the opportunity to play and review The Spill from Smirk and Dagger Games. And we should point out that this one was generously provided by Kurt from Smirk and Dagger. So, mm-hmm. Kurt, thank you again. Scott, The Spill, we got a co-op game. This one had that big old dice tower. Well, it wasn't really a dice tower. It was like a dice distributor, a randomizer. Oh, I don't know. It was uh, maybe like in the shape of a Deep Well 4 offshore rig. <laughs> a Deep Well 4, yes. <laughs> so this game has, it's got a dice dice tower system whereby you drop the dice in and it goes into a funnel, which then they go into another funnel. And then they go on to this, we'll basically call it a half circle, like a half a globe thing. And they fall into any one of four different, like at the very bottom, it's a big square with a plus sign going through it. So there's four different squares within that the dice can fall into. And that quadrant of your board is going to be affected by the dice. Mm-hmm. This is a co-op game. This is a co-op that I had a chance. Man, we played this with Jenny, with Jason. You and I played. Oh, I yes, played. yes. I think, Jimmy, I played the heck out of this one when it came <laughs> out. What are some thoughts on the spill one year later? I haven't played it since then, but I will remember that game was brutal. Uh, it was just like, we had no way of getting ahead. Every time you thought you were ahead, they would just say, uh, 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 and it would just felt horrible, but it's one of those games that being co-op, it was great. It was kind of a different, different animal, but still in the same genre as pandemic because Mm -hmm, all mm -hmm. these things can go horribly wrong, but you want to make sure that you're all working together to make sure it all works out. It's one that definitely, I would say, if someone brought it out and said, hey, you want to play? I would play it again in a heartbeat, definitely. You know what? I would too. And I even thought, uh, so I'm making a trade with Steven from Brown Castle Games. Scott, I've, mm-hmm. long oh, story yeah. short, we've got a surprise incoming. And part oh. of the trade, part of the, uh, we'll say the back alley deal is he asked me for a bunch of board games. He's like, can you start me up a board game collection? I was like, yeah, absolutely. But give me some indicators. What do you, like, I don't want to send him through the ages if he's going to oh. be playing just him and his kids. <laughs> and by the same token, I don't want to send him Ticket to Ride First Journey if he's playing with like colleagues in the chiropractic business. <laughs> so he gave me some ideas and uh, it sounds, sounds like co-op was something that he would be very interested in. And man, I really, I failed because I was like, man, the spill would have been perfect. I hadn't thought oh, of it at yeah. the time. If I could track down a copy, this would be perfect. You know what? I've played it a handful of times since the review. I like the spill. One caveat to it. And you said, oh man, when when we played, it was so mean. It was so hard. I also had games that were remarkably simple Mm. because what happens is when you drop those dice in, there's variance, right? Odds are by the time you drop in 24 dice, six should have gone to each quadrant. But variance being what it is, and that's, you know, we can play probabilities. The probability is that six dice will go into each. If one has seven and only one has five, well, that's variance uh, off of the probability. Man, there's potential for a game to be your distribution of 24 dice went three here, three here, three here, and 15 there. And you just (laughs) ain't going to win that game. Um, It can be mean. And it's not controlled. That's one of the neat things with a game like a pandemic. You have the deck of cards. And when you have that that thing come up, you're going to go ahead and reshuffle the things you already have seen. So you know what's coming and where. That doesn't mean that you can always address it, but you at least have some pre-planning that you can do. Right. In the spill, it's random. 
you know, the quadrants that things are going to go into is completely random. And there are going to be games where you just get beat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, you just get beat. Likewise, though, there are sometimes games where you have to drop in four dice and one goes into each quadrant. Easy peasy. We can Yay. clean that up. Nope. Exactly. Exactly. So you want to see a nice mixture. Oh, man, they a lot of them went over to Jason this time. And then the next turn. Oh, geez. Now, now Chrissy's getting hammered over there. We've got to help her out. <laughs> but you're managing it. It's manageable. That, to me, is maybe the lasting impression of this spill is that when everything clicks, it is one of my favorite co-op games, but there are times when it can just pound you into the dirt. And frankly, I kind of like it for that. You're kind of playing on the edge. Yeah, even when yeah. you're safe, you can get a few bad rolls where not even the numbers, just the dice where they fell into what quadrants. There's too many in one. The oil's gushing out over there and we can't contain it. Scott, one year later, are you recommending the spill? I would say yes. It's a unique take on it. If you play Pandemic, like you said, with throwing the dice in there, that really changes up how the game works. So I would say yes, definitely I would recommend it. Likewise. Excellent for a younger game group. Uh, Excellent for adults to play together. I think it's fun. I like the variables. I like to have different characters to choose from. If you have a chance to give it a try, can be found on the cheap. Go for it. The Spill from Smirk and Dag. Whoa! This is a new one. I haven't heard this in a while. Adventures Mm. on the Horizon. Adventures on the Horizon. Today, Scott, we're going to be talking Gempire Zarmon's Demands. This is a 2022 game from uh, Gem Time Games LLC, designed by Paul Elpers. Uh, Adventures, this one is live. This is on Kickstarter right now. Now, so get on over there and check it out while you're listening. From BGG, Gempire is the strategic hidden action city building board game with different victory conditions virtually every time you play. King Zarmund is holding a grand competition to decide his new capital city. He'll make three random demands at the beginning of the game, and the first architect that's us. To satisfy mm-hmm. any two of these three demands wins the game. Scott, we played this one together with Jenny and Jason. We got a three to five player game that plays in about an hour, maybe a little over, and the play is simultaneous. How so? Yes. You want me to do the breakdown? Yes, please do. All right. This game's going to be set up with a main board featuring buildings that players can construct. It also has a science tracker to show you how high your scientific knowledge has climbed, as well as the technologies that are unlocked as you gain more and more science. And finally, you're going to have endgame goal cards for everyone to see. So that's our setup. Buildings, endgame goals, science track. Now each player gets this little foldable dry erase book, and that's where you're going to get to select your action for the turn, place bids, and track things like your coin, your population, etc. A turn looks like this. One player takes five dice, rolls them into the dice tray. These dice are going to depict hammers for production and those little beaker things, potion bottles, that represent science. The players all check out what's showing on the dice, and they select a total of five resources to gain by secretly writing them down in your dry erase book. But instead of taking resources, you might instead opt to spend production that you've previously acquired to build a building card that's available in that building row. To do that, instead of jotting down resources you want, because you ain't going to do that, you instead put a number down in the slot on your secret dry erase board as a bid for one of those three buildings. Mm. Example, there's an embassy in the A spot and you want it. So instead of taking resources, you might bid three production for the embassy card. So you just write a three underneath the A on your board. That's easy. 
everyone reveals at the same time. So players that are collecting resources, there's no like competing for them. If there's two science showing, everybody can say, well, I want two science. But I just bid three on the A, the building in the A, uh, the embassy card, right? If two players bid on the same card, the loser of the bid only loses one of their resources, where the winner has to pay the entire bid. If the players tie, somebody else did a three, nobody gets it, and we each lose one of those resources. So we know how we're getting our resources, and we know how we're buying buildings. Let's get to the meat of the game, and that's these building cards, right? These are simply cards in three colors that generally give you some amount of population, prestige, or coin. And what makes them particularly interesting is the way that you lay out your buildings. That's going to be important. Namely, in that you can continue to add to the left or the right flanks of your building row. So you select a building card, you put it in front of you. You get another building card, it goes to the left or the right of that. And you continue going left or right. But once a color is trapped, you can no longer add that color to your building row. What the heck do I mean by that? You following me here, Scott? I'm following you. Well, I know you are. You played the game Adventures. What I mean by that is there's three different colors of buildings. If I've got uh, green on the left, purple in the middle, and yellow on the right, I can no longer add purple because it's trapped in between two colors. You've always got to be playing adjacent. I said, oh, well, I've got uh, green on the left. If I select a green building, it has to go to the left. And that's important because... These buildings are going to care about what is left, what's right of them. Like we, we had a green card. It, it gave you some amount of population. It said, oh, and plus two population for every green building to the right of this. Mm-hmm. Well, you want that to be in the right side of your row or, or on the farthest left of all the green cards in your row. And you want to have the ability to keep on adding green. Like there's a lot going on there. Oh, plus, yeah, there is. Plus there are ways that you can get a second row of buildings in your city. Finally, the population, the coins, what's all that about? These are things that care about increments of 10. So when you gain 10 population, say you played a green card and it gave you seven, you played another green card and it gave you five, that's an increment of 10. And you're tracking this on your player, on that little secret board. So you put a 12 next to your population. So you know, and you can show everybody, they can look and calculate it, but you have it written down. That's how you're tracking it. Once you hit an increment of 10, you get this big, chonky green, there I go with chonky again, big green gem, (laughs) right? If you mm-hmm. get 10 coin, you get the yellow gem. And if you get 10 prestige, you get a purple gem. And they all do things. So like 10 gold means that you can switch resources. If we roll four science and that's it, you can say, you know what? I'm going to use my gold gem. Uh, not use it. I have a gold gem. So I have the ability to turn one of those science into a production. I'm taking three and one instead of all four science. You got you got it? Right. When you get to 10 population, so you got a green gem in front of you, you're allowed to choose six resources from the, uh, the, the die pool each turn. You go up incrementally that way. I love the players track this in their book and the way that they show other players they've achieved an increment of 10 with that big gem. I feel they did a great job with that. A few other details and then then we'll talk about our thoughts on the game. The science track, it's got a whole bunch of unlocks. Like as you gain power, as, as you've accumulated knowledge, you get to unlock things. And that's done with a big deck of cards and you flip up five of them. And they have the thresholds. Like this first one says, uh, when somebody hits 20 science, they get this. The next person to get this, they won't get it until they hit 22 science. And if a third player wants to get this, they can, but not until they get to 26 science. Like it goes up. It becomes harder for other people to get that. At the end of any given round, if you've met two of the goals, you win the game. So Scott, let's talk about Gempire together. Let's start to maybe mini, mini April breakdown. I wanted to highlight the art and components here because I thought they were really good. Oh, yeah, yeah, Definitely really stood out whenever we had everything out there i love having the extra gems there all the gems around there really kind of steals the deal with the the name of the game great production 
Did you notice that wasn't my dice tray? No. That came with the game. One of those like really? full leather dice trays. Yeah. That's that's in the box. Says Gempire like imprinted on it. You get one of those dice trays. All of the gems come in those little clear plastic screw down cap like bottle things. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought they did a fantastic job with the, oh, uh, with yeah. the components. Now, I was drawn to the game because of the box cover. A big old gem and that old looking map in the background. I will say, once you're playing the game, there's not a lot of art. There's a lot of numbers. There's mm-hmm. some excellent iconography. Uh, iconography. The layouts are intuitive. It's just not an art forward game, I thought. And that's worth mentioning. Yes, yes, very much so. Variability and replayability are completely bonkers <sighs> off oh, the yeah. charts. <laughs> that building deck has to have 100 cards. And we... We didn't get through half of them. No, 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 no. And that was something that really, really shocked me with that. With I was looking at the size of, the, of that deck of cards and thinking how long we played. And I was like, my God, we haven't even touched half of these, if even that. And Scott, the science deck, did you notice that is also like the unlocks? We set five of them out. That came from a deck of like 40 cards. Oh, So wow. you're going to have different unlocks. for, And th- those were kind of profound. Some of those were really big, like, whoa, that changes what you oh, can yeah, do yeah, tremendously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's going to be different. Every time you play five, well, you might flip the same card, of course, as last game. But since you're flipping five, oh, man, that's going to shape the play. I thought that was tremendous. The demands, how you're going to win the game. Those cards will say like, uh, have 10 more gold than any other player. Mm-hmm. Have 10 more population than any other player. Do this more than someone. Do that more than someone. That came from a big deck too. So even your end game targets. What what Paul did here was he took a relatively simple system. Roll some dice, and you have the choice. You can bid for buildings, which I love bidding in games, or you can take some resources. That's it. I mean, that is it. That is it, Chet. <laughs> <laughs> And yet, because there are so many cards in each of those decks, it's going to, what do we like to say, uh, same sandbox, different toys, or same toys, different sandbox. (laughs) You know what I mean? Fantastic job as far as replayability and variability go. Did you think Jumpire was fun? It was. We had a little problem at the beginning, hashing things out. But once we got into the the swing of things, yeah, it definitely got to be much more fun. Really enjoyed what we were doing there. It was a good time. Those booklets. I didn't mention this, but I, I don't know if you noticed the player books that we're all writing down in. Mm-hmm. Those are all custom too. And they have the oh name of like your family or your house on it. Like the green player gets a green book. The purple player gets a purple yes. book. Uh, just off the charts with the components on this. Oh, really yeah. Neat. Production is top-notch on this. Go to Kickstarter. It's got about a week and a half left. Gempire. Zarman's Demands. Great game. Adventurers, it is I, your ignorant slut and your local expediter or expedition person, your, your explorer, your local explorer, Josh. Coming from the woodworks and from the different crevices that the board game Earth has to traverse, the caverns, the bungalows, the hoop-de-doops, the boobahs, whatever you want to call it, me, trying to find games, trying to find the lost loot to bring to you for your consideration and to present pretty much as tribute to the great King Scott and Just Patrick. It's good to see you guys again. Anyways, over the past month or so, probably two months at this point, I think, Lorcana has taken the world by storm. People are trampling young children at Gen Con. There are people scalping the prices of the MSRP on local game stores. 
The round ears, the hidden Mickeys, are perpetrating our hobby like an evil infestation of the plague. Except instead of rats, it be mouses. But anyways, I haven't played Lord Connie yet. I want to, to be honest, just to give it a try, see what it has to offer. And I'm actually looking forward to seeing how the game progresses. Because I'm always a fan of these type of TCGs coming into the hobby. Because, you know, TCGs, very competitive and very hard to actually break into. Harder than board games, if you look at it. And, you know, giving someone a rival to Pokemon or Yu-Gi-Oh! Some of those intro-level TCGs, I think is great. And the art, mm, art is fantastic. But we're not here to talk about Lorcana. That is definitely not lost loot. I'm here to talk about another TCG. A TCG that I talked about before on the podcast, I believe. And at this moment, I'm throwing down the gauntlet once again towards King Scott. Scott knows about this. We've been meaning to play this game with each other for a while for the past couple cons. It just never worked out because he and I are both very busy during conventions. And when we sit down to actually play games, usually we want to play a different game instead. Doesn't mean this game's not good. It's just how things usually work out at conventions. Well, enough about that, though. Let's talk about the game I'm here to talk about today. Today on Lost Loot, we are talking about a game that comes in at 2325 on the Board Game Geek overall sale. It is a TCG called Flesh and Blood. Flesh and Blood was designed by a lot of people, but BGG credits Jason Chung, Chris Kenhering, and James White, and the publisher is Legend Story Studios. Now, some people may have heard of Flesh and Blood, like with most Lost Loot, but when you think of, you know, trading card games, you think Pokemon, you think Magic the Gathering, you think Yu-Gi-Oh!, all of these games that are good, and I actually have played a lot of them and I enjoy them, but the fun of the game comes from the construction and, you know, building decks and combos and things like that, you know, spending the money to get the cards you want in order to dominate your opponents. I am trying to take a look at the base game here, like what the game actually offers as like, hey, here's a starter set, go and play. And out of all the starter sets and just beginner kits I've done, nothing quite beats the gameplay and mechanisms of Flesh and Blood. Now, let me break down for you what Flesh and Blood is. So Flesh and Blood is a hero-centric fantasy trading card game designed for a constructive format, booster drafts, and sealed deck play. If you don't play TCGs, those are very general types of systems you play, types of games you play for that kind of subsection of the hobby. So players set up the game with a chosen character. The characters are different heroes. You know, there's like a fire ninja, an ice axe barbarian. There's like all, all sorts of cool things that are happening as far as heroes go. But they select a chosen character, they give them weapons and equipment, and then players take turns going back and forth, attacking with their weapons, and using action cards and pitching cards, meaning they discard them for resources to pay to use other actions. Attacks and defenses are placed in a middle part of the board between the two players, called a chain, and resolved based on damage inflicted by the base different values of the cards. So basically... I play an attack card, the other person plays a defense card, and the difference is how much damage the player takes. So play continues until a player reaches zero health and the opponent declared the victor. Now this is a very, very distilled down version of what this game is. There's a lot, like with most TCGs, there's a lot of different keywords, lots of different mechanisms that go beyond the actual base game, but we're just going to talk about the base game here and, you know, 
kind of keep it as simple as possible. So as I was explaining, you know, the game, you have a hero that you choose, and they, they, these range from, like I said, Fire Ninjas to Ice Guardians, lots of different play styles that you can take advantage of. You give them armor, which gives them special abilities. They're usually one-time things you can activate during the game, but there are some things that last the entire game. And then weapons, which adds a little bit of custom ability to your hero. Now, what makes this fun is that these heroes, weapons, and armor all have different abilities that create this cool kind of unique self-defense self or self-attacking system that you bring to the table. And then you have your deck of cards, and as you play cards, you get rid of cards, discarding them for resources to play other cards. And then when you attack a player, the other player gets to respond in defense of such. So it really feels like a back-and-forth combat, something about that always bugged me about like magic Yu-Gi-Oh or pokemon it never felt like a back and forth combat i felt like i go boom here's big explosion then you go boom big explosion this really feels like you are facing against someone and it's your skills against theirs you are have your weapons and you're in a kind of a mortal combat-esque fight to the death and it really does capture that essence of duels of you know one-on-one -on -one melee combat with some magic thrown in between this is the best TCG, I think, out of the game as far as mechanisms. The reason it is so good, in my opinion, and why I think everyone should try it, is because you have starter decks called Blitz decks that you can use. They're so like 40-card decks that really let you play the game in 5 to 10 minutes. The juicy decisions that come in those decks get my brain going. I have four cards in my hand. Which ones do I discard from my hand in order to get the resources I need to play this really cool card? Or do I hold off and put this card aside, which you can do. You, you have a little arsenal that you can put cards aside in and wait for the right moment to actually attack and do a bunch of cool combos and things like that. The core loop of the gameplay is extremely, extremely juicy. That decision of what card do I discard is extremely satisfying and it's excruciating it's kind of like war of the ring the card game in lots of ways which is one of the reasons i really like war of the ring card game because i really like that me mechanism in flesh and blood i find that to be an extremely satisfying mechanic that comes with lots of layers of decisions why is this lost loot why is this you know a game that has been kind of lost a sense of time well it really i'll be honest it, it hasn't there are still Lots of people who play this game. They have world championships for it. It is still being supported. But in my time, when I ask people, hey, what's your favorite TCG? It's usually either I don't play any, or they talk about Pokemon, Magic, or Yu-Gi-Oh! Maybe they may like an anime like One Piece or Dragon Ball Z. They say those things. I don't hear a lot of people talk about this game outside of the circles that do play it. That makes me sad, because out of the box, this is, I think, the most mechanically sound game with the most interesting decisions. So if you just get, like, a starter deck of magic between a starter deck of flesh and blood, the flesh and blood, I believe, is going to provide a more satisfying experience than just a basic deck of magic cards. And this comes in the form of what's called a Blitz deck. Now, Blitz is a format where you have 40 cards and your hero card. And you are playing a really quick game between two players. And this is the version I prefer to play. I played Constructed. I played some other formats of this game. But there's something really satisfying is having a, de a small deck saying, Hey, you play this character because you think they look cool. And I'll play this character because I think they look cool. And you go back and forth for 10, 50 minutes and have a great little game. It is so great. So the reason I say I was throwing a gauntlet down beforehand is because Scott... My great friend, King Scott, has a couple Blitz decks, and I have a couple Blitz decks, and I'm hoping to get more soon. 
we just want to sit down and play back and forth and have a great time. And I know I pretty confidently I can pretty much toast him, and he has no chance in any dimension or any sort of world of beating me. Yeah, I'm throwing it out there, Scott. And if, he, and if, if I do lose, I'll eat my words later. But I recommend it. If this kind of game sounds interesting to you, always wondered maybe what, maybe a good TCG is like, I recommend going out to your friendly little game store and seeing if they have a Blitz deck of Flesh and Blood. Now, if you want to actually get into the game, I will say this. It's a lot more expensive than I think Magic is. It's a lot harder to get the systems down. And there is a higher barrier to entry. It's definitely not a beginner TCG if you want to get into the collectibles and the trading cards and actually constructing the decks. But as far as the best game overall in general, I do find Flesh and Blood to be highly superior. And because it's not been around for too long, it's only been a two or three years or so, it doesn't have a recognized IP behind it, it kind of gets forgotten sometimes in local circles. But I can guarantee if you give this game a try, you will find yourself loving the juicy decisions, the artwork, and the core loop of the gameplay that it provides. Well, that's it for me today, adventurers. Again, Scott, the gauntlet has been thrown. Whether we sell this at PAX in between games of Battletech, or we try to catch up at next year's Origins, I'm still looking for the time we get to play Flesh and Blood. And adventurers, if you ever find yourself looking at these walls and walls of booster packs between Magic, Pokemon, or Digimon, look for the little packet of cards that are hidden in the corner. You never know when you might find some lost loot. You know, I, I never got into Flesh and Blood. This thing was all the rage when it oh, came out. Yeah. But that's going back like what, five or six years now. And I know for a while it was really hard to get, kind of like some other uh, random CCG games <laughs> that shall go unnamed. But it really, it, it took CCGs by storm. I was talking with Brett at the vault and he's like, yeah, this might be the next Magic the Gathering. Well, that ship has sailed, I think. Uh, it's a, I would call it a near dead. Are they still producing Flesh and Blood? That I don't know. I have a few of the Blitz decks, and I know that Josh and I, we've been trying to work things out so we can play this. So hopefully we'll get this down at PAX. Oh, I, I, yeah. Hey, I know you're challenging me, Josh. We'll he get this you done. Up. He basically said he's going to mop the floor with you. Oh, he probably will. I mean, you know me. I, I don't. I have a good time playing, but I never win. So we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. Scott, you need to give yourself some more credit. You're, you're a very, you just beat the snot out of me at Ark Nova. Oh, well, it was about time. <laughs> yes, yes. I'm looking forward to it, Josh. We're going to get this game in. Come hell or high water. Advent, uh, Explorer Josh, thank you as always for Lost Loot. It's one of my favorite segments. Yes, definitely. Thanks, Josh. You ignorant slut. Well, Patrick, we've come to the end of yet another episode, and now there's the time it. when we like to take a look and see how we leveled up in the real world or in the gaming world. So, do you want to take it first, Patrick? Sure, I'll take it first, because mine's not, like, monumental, but to me, it's really cool. You know what? I've had the chance to play games with Lana only a handful of times ever. I've known her for, like, three years. I think we've been at the shop twice together, and she's been to a meetup once, but mm -hmm. you know what she does do? What's that? board game arena and uh -huh. she taught me she taught me nar she taught me for a shuffle so we've been playing some for a shuffle on there i think i'm going to teach her obsession in the coming days so uh being able to game with lana you know what maybe the level up here isn't so much the one individual person i love lana 
I think it's more that BGA has given me the ability to connect with people that I otherwise would not be able to connect. You know what I mean? Like I, yes, I get a little yes. bit of time in the evening. It's like, hey, you want to teach me how to play Forest Shuffle? She's like, yeah. And we turn on the audio and we're chatting. She's like, oh, how are you doing? Yeah. Oh, and I well, my kid's coming home from plumber school here soon. Oh, husband just walked in the door. Well, let's finish up. We'll play again tomorrow. I'm like, oh. <laughs> You get to find out about people. You get to talk with folks through yes. something so simple like BGA, and, and it's it's wonderful. It's an extension of the Friendship Network. Scott, what's your level up? Well, my level up is I got to go back to the place that I used to roam frequently on the weekends during the fall. I went back to the Pittsburgh Renaissance Festival as a patron, which Ooh. was kind of weird. It was a great time to go back, see so many familiar faces, so many hugs. It was just absolutely wonderful seeing everyone. Even though it was a rainy, ugly day, it was a bit chilly, threw on the kilt, someone gave me an inflatable crown and just sent me on my way. So I had a great time there. <laughs> it was so much fun to be there and see so many people once again. All my love goes out to those people because they make the magic happen. So that was how I leveled up since our last recording. Bit of a homecoming. That sounds wonderful. Yes, 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 it was. Hey, adventurers, if you have not yet done so, get on back. Last week's side quest, we had Dan Halligan, the designer of Obsession, talking anything and everything to do with the character's expansion coming up on Kickstarter mm -hmm. later in October. Plus, don't forget, we've got Gempire, today's adventures on the horizon. Paul's put in a ton of effort and created one heck of a game. Get on over there and check it out. Scott, you get the last word. Okay, well, this is not going to really be a toast, but this just really is a whole thing of what I did this past weekend, and that is, well, actually, two weekends ago, never burn your bridges unless it's really, really bad, because you never know when you want to go back again and see those friends and just have that happiness. So be careful what bridges you burn. We'll catch you in two weeks' adventure. Scott, I'll see you in two days. You got it, my friend. Thank you, adventurers, for joining us for this episode of the Level Up Board Game Podcast. We encourage all adventurers to check out our website at levelupgamepodcast.com. That's where you can submit your thoughts and audio to be used in a future episode. Please consider rating us on iTunes, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter and Instagram, and join the Board Game Geek Guild, Guild 3722. Music for the podcast provided by Adam Haynes and the Heatley Brothers. And remember, whether in hobby or in life, always do what you can to level up.